Hello everyone and welcome back to the CEO Journals podcast. For those of you that are new here, I'm your host Ethan Bridge and I just want to start off this episode by saying thank you all for joining. Have you ever taken a step back and truly thought about your purpose in life? Why do you wake up every morning? What is it that you want to achieve? Are you working towards being the best version of yourself? When Glenn Lundy, today's guest on the podcast, truly thought about what I've just mentioned was when his life changed forever. After failing an attempt at suicide, Glenn realized that he needed to take responsibility for his actions. He was the only constant in his life, causing this downward spiral. Therefore, he was the only person with the ability to make a change. Today, he is a husband to one, a father to seven, and host of the popular Facebook live show, Hashtag Rise and Grind. Glenn has been spotlighted on ABC, NBC, and CBS, and is an expert in dealership culture development and leadership training. With 20 years experience in the automotive industry, Glenn has led a dealership from 120 cars a month to an 800% increase in sales in just five years, making the dealership the second largest used car franchise in the country. Glenn has a unique ability to help identify the areas of growth in stores and teach creative ways to invoke a dealership spirit. With a background in sales and finance, he uses his skill sets to create growth as well as tapping into the mental side of human development. I can't wait for you all to hear what Glenn has to say. So without any further ado, let's dive straight into today's episode. Enjoy. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the CEO Journals podcast. I am super excited for today's episode because we have Glenn Lundy on the show. Glenn, how are you doing today? Man, I am. I'm great, man. I'm incredible. Are you kidding? I'm, I'm getting to hang out with my man, Ethan, over here all the way across the pond, getting to connect. And, and, and uh, it's just an incredible opportunity, man. So I'm doing great. You're doing great. I am as good as I can be for being locked within the four walls of my house for the past 35 days, but we are getting there. We are getting there. I promise. And hopefully we'll be out of this soon. So for the listeners who don't know who you are, I'm sure your listeners know who you are, who are listening right now, but for mine, please, would you just give us a quick 60 second introduction of who you are and what you do, please? Yeah, sure. Um, My name is Glenn Lundy and I am a husband to one and a father to seven. I am also a 20-year automotive professional and I am the host of the wildly popular Facebook live show, Hashtag Rise and Grind. Awesome. There it is. Perfect (laughs) introduction. You have have to do it like every day. (laughs) Seven kids. Yeah, man. Seven of them. That's a busy household. (laughs) It's crazy. And I've got one that's 21 and then there's a big gap, like a 10-year gap. And then it's a 10-year-old, an 8-year-old, a 6-year-old, a 4-year-old, a 2-year-old, and a 1-year-old. Wow. Must be good fun, though. It it has its moments. (laughs) I bet. I bet. So the way I like to start all my episodes is sort of to throw it back with my guests and ask them about their time at school, just to give the listeners a little bit of background of where they came from. So let's focus on a 16-year-old version of yourself. How were you in school? Were you a straight-A student, class clown, or just completely bang average? So 
at 16 years old, I was, well, all of school, I was always a straight A student. Um, but I, I was a straight A student because I was blessed with the ability to learn, retain, and repeat information quickly. So I would, you know, I was, I was, I was smart. I was a smart kid. So I didn't become a straight A student because I was a good student. I was a straight mm -hmm. A student because it was easy. Uh, but I was actually quite a wild, wild young man at, at 16 years old. I was, I would do school by day. Then I would run track after school with, with a girlfriend of mine. And then everybody would go home around five and I would do that briefly, go home, eat dinner. And then I'd be back out and hanging at pool halls and things like that until two or three o'clock in the morning. And then I'd come home, sleep a couple hours, go back to school and do it all over again. So if I wasn't getting in trouble, I was, if I wasn't in school, I was getting in trouble. And if I wasn't in trouble, I was at school. <laughs> but I, bet, I bet there were so many kids out there that hated the fact that you could just ace all your tests but do no work whatsoever in the rest of your days like in the evening you just did what you wanted to do and then you just rock up to school the next day take the test done easy yeah there was there was two things that people you know they they, they definitely didn't enjoy that aspect of me which by the way when i got to college the my professors put the kibosh on that because I, I wouldn't go to any classes. I'd just show up on test day and ace the tests. And so they started dropping pop quizzes. I ended up flunking <laughs> out of college because I didn't have that discipline of uh, doing, doing the work. But they, um, the, the, the kids, there were some kids that were envious of that. And then there were also kids that were envious of the fact that, you know, I didn't really have a curfew. Like I didn't have a curfew. I could stay out as late as I wanted. And you know, that was a big deal too. The other kids are like, no, Glenn, I have to go home. Like, I'm like, what do you mean you have to go home? Like, come on, we can, we can do whatever we want. But not everybody had that, uh, that same lifestyle. So it was, it was different. Awesome. But so you, even though you were acing school, you went to college and did you end up finishing or did you not finish? Mm -mm. Yeah. So I, I went to school on a full ride academic scholarship. And within the, the, the first year, I was failing most of my classes because the professors, it, it really upset them that I wouldn't show up for class. And so they would start to drop pop quizzes on random days. Just, you know, if Glenn wasn't there, okay, oh, we've got a test today and it's going to be 20% of your grade or whatever. And they would do those things to, to help me fail out. And so I failed out. I lost my scholarship after the first year went back kind of the second year and then I met a young lady who um, quickly got pregnant with my now 21 year old. And so I just went ahead and stopped the whole college deal and went to work in the, uh, in the world of sales. So with having that kid so early on, did that sort of push you towards wanting to starting work and being able to provide or did it force you? as such you just knew you had to do it to provide um i think i was looking for a kind of a way out of college anyway because that wasn't really my thing and so it gave me a good reason to stop going to school and so i'd like to i'd like to like jump up on the white horse and say oh i had to do the right thing and i was raising my kid and so i gave up my life and went to work and i'd love to say that but really there was a lot of selfish intentions um, behind it. And 
ultimately when I was still that young, I really didn't make my daughter a priority. Uh, I went to work and I did my thing and I, and I was really good in sales. And so I made money and things like that, but I was still just a young, you know, just Mm -hmm. a kid running around wild and fancy free. Uh, even, even after I had my daughter. So that ultimately led me to a point where her mom and I split up and it got really ugly and I lost custody of her at age six. They, they, uh, I wasn't allowed to see her. And so there was a period of eight years from age six to 14 where I didn't have any contact with my daughter at all. Cause I was just kind of a wild card, you know? Do you regret that? Um, yes and no. Like I regret it more for her than for me. Uh, only because it's, it's made an impact on her for sure. Um, growing up without her dad, uh, it was very challenging. She got bullied quite a bit when she was in school. Um, and she still, she still battles with some, with some, with some issues, you know, depressions and things like that. Uh, a lot of it I think came from that season of her life. So I regret it in that sense. I don't regret it in the other sense though, because if it wasn't for that, I never would have left Arizona. I never would have moved to Kentucky. I never would have met my wife and I would never would have had the six other kids that I have, you know, right now. So, um, everything happens for a reason. Uh, I just wish things would have been a little bit easier for her. For sure. I suppose you've always got to look on the bright side of the aspect in the fact that if that hadn't have happened, you may as well, you wouldn't have, may not have been where you are today. So, right everything happens for a reason. So let's talk a little bit about that first sales job then, because obviously it went wrong somewhere along the line. So first sales job, how did that go? So originally, so I started in like phone sales, uh, selling something called America Online, which you're probably way too young to know about (laughs) America Online. No idea. so America online was the basically the only way you could get on the internet back 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 in the day you had to pay you had to pay to be able to get on the internet uh, not just pay for Wi-Fi or an internet connection but you actually they didn't have browsers like Google Chrome and things like that so you had to pay for a browser so America online was one of those services that you paid to be able to access the internet and Uh, You get the little thing that would pop and say, you've got mail. And it would tell you when you had email and all this other stuff. Um, So I started off selling that stuff kind of over the phone and then quickly went into uh, car sales. And when I first started in car sales, you know, I was a, I was a natural at sales. I'd been selling things my whole life, selling my mom on why I didn't need a curfew selling, you know, like I was just a, I was a born salesperson. And so sales went really well for me. The problem was I was so good and my career progressed so fast that that was my addiction. I, I loved I loved being at work. I loved selling cars. I loved the lifestyle that came with it, which was fast. And, and, you know, we worked 80 hours, but we partied 80 hours. And I really, really, really got sucked into that, that culture. And it wasn't a real, it was a, it was a pretty negative environment that I was in. And there were things like drugs and drinking and, uh, you know, things like that, that existed. And so, my career went fast, my skills were on point, but my life outside of work 
rapidly deteriorated through through that season from splitting up with my ex losing custody of my daughter um, drinking too much occasional drugging too much dating other women that were toxic um, you know thing, things like that all that came along with it to the point where I literally packed up my Ford Mustang one day loaded it with everything that would fit left everything else in the house and left I mean just gone I didn't want anything to do with the car business anymore I didn't want anything to do with people I blamed everyone else you know is everyone else's fault not mine and so I hit a really low point at my life in my life right around 25 26 years old where I didn't know who I was where I was going where I was going to end up uh spent some time homeless spent some time very 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 depressed and just kind of went through this really dark you know season so very gifted very talented but my 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 life wasn't balanced or well rounded so i guess that's also i always find these stories quite interesting so i've had a few people on the show that have been homeless and then ended up pulling themselves out and becoming the people they are today extremely extremely successful but i've never actually asked an individual is what it what did it actually feel like having nothing? Just being that person walking around and having nothing. Well, the, the worst part about homelessness is not necessarily being hungry or being, um, you know, not having shelter. Like, yeah, those things, those things suck. But really the worst part about being homeless is you become invisible like literally invisible. People will not make eye contact with you. They are afraid you're going to mug them or you're going to ask them for money or whatever. So people look literally through you. And I here I was on the beaches of San Diego where it's beautiful and there's wealth and there's families and things like that. And I felt completely like a ghost, bro. Like... It was like this whole world is going on around me and I matter zero in it. And all of my days, all of your days become the same, right? You start to lose hope because I would, I would wake up uh, the buses out there. They run 24 hours. So I would spend my night on the bus. I would sleep on the bus. And then when it made it to the depot in the morning, I'd get off the bus at the depot. And then I would start looking for scraps of change so that I could get some breakfast and then after I ate breakfast, I'd spend the rest of the day looking for scraps of change so that I could get on the bus again that night so that I could sleep on the bus. And it's just day after day, you just, every day is the same. Every day is the same. Every day is the same. And people don't see you. And you, it was easy. It's easy to get into a very depressed state where you just feel like your life has zero value, zero meaning, um, and it's never going to get any better. And so that ultimately brought me to a real deep depression, uh, you know, suicidal. Uh, I tried to take my own life and, and things like that. So that's, that's the most awful part. It's not the lack of food or the lack of money. That stuff sucks. It's the, the lack of worth. You, you just feel like you have zero worth. You're completely invisible. So you're literally scouring the streets for change. How did you 
bring yourself out of that situation? How did you pull yourself back up to your feet again? What was that defining moment where you realized that you are worth something and that your life could be better? You've just got to take action. Well, I think so. So I went out and um, so I attempted to take my own life. I'm not a very good swimmer. And so I just thought if I could swim out into the ocean as far, like until I'm just tired, then I won't be able to swim back. And, and, you know, so that was my, that was my plan. And, uh, and I swam out and I reached a point where I thought this was it, you know, this was going to be my last breath and I, and I was going to drown. And right after that moment, my feet hit the ground again. And I was like, what the heck is going on? Well, the tide was coming in. And I wasn't even strong enough to be able to swim out past the tide because I'm just not a good swimmer at all. And so the tide kind of pushes me back up on the beach and I'm laying there thinking, what a failure I am. I can't even kill myself correctly. And as I looked up into the stars and just saw, you know, millions, millions of stars and I could just feel how expansive the universe was. And all of a sudden my problems became really, really small like really small in that moment. And I realized a couple things. I realized that every situation that was bad in my life, I was there. I was the constant. I was the consistent piece, whether it was a different girlfriend or different jobs or different whatever, it always ended up the same. And so I was like, wait a minute, if I'm the constant in every bad thing in my life, then maybe I'm not a victim Maybe I'm actually the, the culprit, right? I'm the problem. And if I'm the problem, then that means I can be the solution as well. And so as I started to have that shift from I am no longer a victim, I am in control. And when I realized that God wasn't going to let me out easy, it was going to be hard no matter what. Like that I, couldn't, I couldn't even take the, you know, the, the easy road. And so combining those two things, it sent me on a path where I started to develop and learn more about myself, the spiritual side of myself, um, and learn over time how to take control of my life. Like, I wish I could say I just snapped my fingers and all of a sudden everything was amazing. That's not how it works. It was still years of work and development and mistakes and two, two steps forward, one step back. You know, there was a lot of that for years before I finally started to really unlock the code, which I'm still trying to unlock that code, you know, now. And I believe I will be for the rest of eternity. For sure. I don't want to go too much of a tangent here, but is this part of the reason why you sort of started rise and grind like back then? in the morning sort of you had nothing to look forward to like every single day was just a complete drag whereas now you've got this show you 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 get up you look forward to making it in the morning and i suppose others that listen to it feel as if they've got some worth when they wake up they can listen to this they can get fired up for their day then they can carry on is that sort of the reason why you started rise and grind what's the main reason behind that yeah that's um that's that's pretty amazing and intuitive on your part that you would make that connection uh, I've done a lot of different podcasts and interviews, and we've talked about this aspect, but usually I'm the one that has to point it out. I've never really had the interviewer make that connection. But yeah, Rise and Grind, you know, there was multiple facets of why I started Rise and Grind, but that's the main one of why I continue to go, to, to move forward with it every day. We've done 600, uh, 600 it was 600 episodes this morning. Um, 
But yeah, I want to give people hope, something to look forward to tomorrow, because I never, ha- I didn't have that during that season of my life, and I and 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 I know that sometimes just that little bit of hope is enough to get you through a rough night or a rough place mentally, and so I want to give people hope, and then I also make sure on my show, I try really hard to engage and interact and say good morning to every person on there because I want people to be seen. Man, if there's somebody sitting out there that feels invisible, feels alone, feels like they have no worth or no value, uh, I want to be the one that 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 says, "Hey, Ethan, I see you. I see you." And the decisions you're making today, they matter. They're making an impact on your friends, your family members, your coworkers. Just you being here today has made an impact on me. And I, for one, absolutely love you for it. I do. If nobody's told you that yet today, I absolutely love you. So I say that on every single show, every episode. I try to interact, engage, let people know that they're loved, that they're seen, and that they're valued. That's amazing, man. And it's incredible that you're 600 episodes in now as well. So congratulations on that landmark. Thank you. (laughs) And I I just find it so fascinating. That was one of the main things that did hit me is the fact you just said you felt invisible like it's not one of the things you think about when you it's like you think exactly of what you said you just think you don't want to look at these homeless people because they think you you think they're going to ask you for money it never crosses your mind that they have that feeling if they just feel invisible it all it takes is just hello how are you like just ask them about their day say like keep going man you can do this just something like that can completely lift up their day even week as such is just something so small can mean so much to so many people so where did it get better then did you call someone who gave you an amazing opportunity or what did happen did you apply for jobs how did it all start getting better yeah so i i got a job um i found a, a job in the newspaper and they were literally looking for me (laughs) the ad was like we're looking for someone with no ties no family no pets no mortgage you can be on the road for six to nine months at a time uh with some sales background sales experience i'm like me me yeah me i'm your guy and so i did i went i applied they hired me on the spot the next day I, I go into the office, they hand me a laptop, a cell phone, a company credit card, and a ticket, a one-way ticket to New York City <laughs> that very next day. So I was like, and, and the flight was a couple hours later. I'm like, all right. So here I am on a flight. Like I go from one extreme. Zero to a hundred. Man. <laughs> it's like crazy. And so I went to New York and I was opening sales offices for a company called 2020 Companies. Uh, this is when fiber optic was just coming out and you could combine your phone, your internet, your television all together into a bundle. And so they sent me to New York to open sales offices and uh, spent a few weeks in New York and then New Hampshire and Connecticut and just kind of all over the place. And during that season, I was still making you know, mistakes and, you know, doing drugs if I could come across them and chasing girls and, you know, living in hotels and so on and so forth. And so I still was, you know, I, I still was a bum. I just wasn't homeless. <laughs> That'd be the best way to describe yeah. it. And so um, that led me to Kentucky where I was opening a sales office here in Kentucky. And while I was here, it was the craziest thing. 
uh, when you're in the car business, Ethan, one of the things that you do is you always look at license plate frames because you want to see like who's the the big dealer in the neighborhood what's the best dealership in the area so you're always looking at license plate frames because it shows that whatever dealer they bought the car from and so i was looking at license plate frames and i kept seeing a bunch of them that said glenn 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 because there's a, a big auto mall glenn auto mall here in lexington kentucky so i kept seeing glenn and then i also kept seeing these catering trucks that said Lundy's, Lundy's Catering. It's like the largest catering company in Lexington, Kentucky. So everywhere I'm looking, it's like Glenn Lundy, Glenn Lundy, Glenn Lundy, everywhere, all around me all the time. And I was like, maybe this is a sign that this is where I'm supposed to live. And so I went back home after doing a a tour or went back to San Diego after doing the tour. And a guy that I met while I was in Kentucky, I met him at an Outback Steakhouse and him and I hung out for two weeks. He called me and said, hey, man, what are you doing with your life? I'm like, well, not much. And he said, I need a roommate. You should move to Kentucky. And so I had $1,500 cash in a suitcase. I jumped on an airplane and I flew to Lexington, Kentucky to uh, meet up with my buddy Aaron Jones. And his family did an incredible job of welcoming me and taking me in. I I stayed at his sister's house on the couch for a few months until him and I got a place and, uh, and I started just rebuilding, you know, from that point, once I got to Kentucky, there's something refreshing about new city, new state, nobody yeah. knows my name, no previous reputation, you know, so I was able to just clean slate start. And, 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 and that was, that was huge to be able to get that clean slate start for sure. And I think also from experience, like a new environment just gives so much motivation as well. And if you're able to just carry forward that motivation as well, it can just take you massively forward in life. As in such, you move house, as you say, completely clean slate. That I I personally find that incredibly motivating. The fact that no one around you, as you say, knows who you are, and yeah. so you've got no, it's, it's, you've got a chance to build first impressions again. You've got a chance to meet new people, see new things, build new things, and I personally find that incredibly motivating. So I imagine that's exactly the same as what happened with you. So let's talk about the car dealership then. So you led the dealership from 120 cars a month to an 800% increase in sales in five years. That's quite an impressive stat. How did you do it? What, what's just, so without going into too much detail, because we could possibly be on this for hours, what sort of <laughs> sales strategies did you adopt to do this? Well, so. So yeah, so when I got back into the car business, because I stayed out for a little while, okay. but when I when I made the decision to go back in, see, I, I met my now wife, she quickly got pregnant, so it was just like I was reliving my life again. Good at that. Life <laughs> staff, I'm very good at that. And um, <laughs> and so I knew I had to get, I was, I'm good at sales and selling cards was something that I was good at. And so when I made the decision to get back into the business, I also made a decision that I was not going to relive what I did before. And so I literally wrote down all the different things that I hated about working in the car business and all of the different things that I thought uh, customers hated about buying cars and just decided that I'm going to do the opposite. So I went into this store as a salesperson, worked my way up into a leadership position. And as soon as I had that leadership position, luckily I had an incredible mentor, 
the owner of the dealership, him and I became very, very good friends. And together we were able to eradicate this was our, our mission statement was to eradicate the negative stigmas associated with the car business. And so we were able to do that by developing our people first, looking at our people. You know, everybody's like the customer. Everybody's so focused on the customer, which yes, the customer is important. But if your people aren't healthy, if your people aren't well, if your people aren't in a good place, they're not going to treat your customers right. And you're not going to be able to grow your business, period. So we focused on our people. I devised something we call corporate family values, which is just a series of things that we would consistently do to develop our people, not just as great employees, but to be great humans, to teach them life skills, not just job skills. And in doing so, we were able to build an army of just incredible humans and have massive growth year after year after year after year after year after year after year going from 120 cars to our record month was march of 2018 we sold 1043 cars in 27 business days and this is in a tiny little town 9600 people we grew it to be the second largest used car franchise dealership in the country wow not bad yeah man not bad not at all bad. i think that's i had on that one <laughs> that'll do <laughs> All in a night's work. But I, I think that's a seriously interesting point you make there as well. And it could just be the key point to take away from this episode is, especially business owners, I think that is where a lot of people go wrong is they will always tend to focus on the customer first because, I mean, that's what generates the income. That's what keeps them going. That's what pays their bills because they are the ones paying the money. So they tend to focus on that aspect first. Whereas you can't, get the customers if you don't have everything set up internally correctly as in if you've got a shitty sales team or you've got a shitty team around you no one's going to want to do business with you you could be the best person in the world if you've got no one around you of any value then they're just going to see it that way as well yeah i mean you might be able to get them I might be able to get somebody's attention i might be able to get them to come to my store uh, get them to give me a shot you know but once they once they show up the experience once they arrive or once they engage, that's, that's where the money's made, man. That's what separates the champions from, you know, from, mm-hmm. from those that fall down is that experience once the consumer gets there. Because I can spend a ton of money on marketing. I can spend a ton of money on advertising. I can, I can do all of that to draw you in. But if once you show up, the place is nasty or feels icky or people aren't trained, they're not professionals, they're not clean, you know, then you'll just you'll run at that point. There's, there's, there's no way to, to, to grow and scale. And that's the other thing, dude, you, you get to see your people, your, you get to see your customers like once in the car business, you'll see them once every four months if they come in for oil changes, right? And, yeah. and, or once every three years, if that's their, their cycle of buying a car, but your employees, you see them every day, dude. Yeah. Every single day. So we have an opportunity to develop our people. We don't really necessarily have an opportunity to develop our customers. So we need to focus on developing our people and, and, and everything, goes from, everything grows from there. And I suppose you want employees to stick around as well. It's not like you want to train them up and then them go elsewhere. So if you can keep that full company culture at the best it possibly can be, people are going to want to stay. They're going to want right. to bring other people in. They're going to, they're going to praise to everyone how good you are i mean it's it's a win-win in all situations if you focus internally first no doubt 
no doubt, 100%. So let's go slightly off track now then. I'd love to go on to your Rise and Grind show and sort of talk about your podcast as well. So with Rise and Grind, it's on Facebook. What would you say to those individuals that are saying sort of Facebook is dying? (laughs) Well, I would say a couple things. Um, I would say that there are currently, I think the number is now 3.8 billion people on Facebook. It's it's massive. Yeah. Um, So it's like half the human population is on Facebook. Mm -hmm. So if it's dying, uh, it's going to be a long, slow death. I, 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 w- I would say that. Um, I also would say that I get where, where, where people are coming from, right? Like younger generations tend to like different platforms a little bit more. They're communicating a little bit differently. However, on the other side of that, I'm 42 years old. Mm. I work in dealerships. I work with, with leaders, general managers, owners of dealerships. With my Rise and Grind, most of the people that watch my show, Rise and Grind, they're between 25 and 55 years old, right? Like, yeah. my experience, you know, Ethan, in, in my experience, God puts people in our path and in our lives so that we can make an impact on them and they can make an impact on us. I have the best chance of making an impact on people that can identify with me, right? Like unless you're my kids, a 10-year-old or a 15-year-old or 20-year-old might not necessarily identify with me, the majority of them. And so I like to hedge my bets and put myself in the positions where I can make the impact on the most people. So for me being 42, Facebook's my platform. That's where my people are at. Like that's where people my age are at, people with my experiences, people that grew up when I grew up, people that I can relate with, people that can understand, you know, the things that I can understand. They can understand running the streets. They know what America Online is, right? Those are all my people. It's not me. No. <laughs> <laughs> but those are I my am people. now though. Right. And that's the that's what I want to serve. I want to serve my people. So many people think that you have to serve everybody. Right. They're like, oh, well, you got to get your message out to everybody all the way across the board. And it doesn't work like that, dude. Like, what, where is your niche? What are the people that you were placed here to make an impact in their life? And dial in on that and blow that freaking up, dude. Master. Yeah. Now, I still touch on Instagram. I still touch on TikTok. I still touch on some of these other platforms. But my focus is where my people are at, bro. And my, my, For my sure. People are on Facebook. How did you sort of scale it at first thing? Because it kind of been just hit the ground running. There you are. All your listeners are there. So you've just obviously taken time. What were some of the keys to actually growing on Facebook things? So I suppose not, not too many people talk about growing on Facebook anymore. How do you scale on Facebook? Show up. Just show up. Show up. Simple. Every single day, show up. It's hard. It's exhausting. It's a ridiculous amount of work to stay relevant on Facebook and to stay in front of people. You're battling algorithms. You're battling ads. You're battling billions of people. Like it's work, dude. But you just gotta, you just gotta show up. I've seen other people try to start shows like I have, or try to stay, you know, consistent. We're gonna show up every day. We're gonna do this, and then you know. They don't, they, 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 they get sick or there's a vacation or there's whatever and they don't show up. And when you lose, 
you know, you lose, you lose the people's integrity. They, 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 they're just not going to follow you anymore. People want something they can count on. There's already enough things in the world that are uncertain. Don't be one of them, right? Like, don't be one of them. If you say you're going to do something, do it. If you say you're going to show up, show up. Like, I don't care if you show up. I used to tell my guys this at work. I'd be like, look, dude, if you go out drinking Friday night and you call in Saturday morning, I'll fire you. If you go out drinking Friday night and you show up Saturday morning, and I smell it on you, I'll probably send you home and tell you to get some sleep and get some water and I'll see you on Monday or come back later that day. But I won't fire you. If you show up, just show up. That shows me a lot about your character. And a lot of people, they won't show up because they don't feel like they're getting enough likes. They won't show up because they don't feel like enough people are watching. When I started my show, it was like seven people. It's like me and seven people hanging out 5.30 in the morning. Like, what's up? I'll be back here tomorrow. I don't care if there's seven, yeah. 10, 20, 60, 90, 150. You know, now every, every episode's getting four or 5,000 views an episode. Some of them pop off, get 15, 20,000 views. You know, that's, that's where we're at now, but that's 600 episodes in, in the beginning, yeah. it was just like 110, <laughs> Yeah, you know? So I, that's what I would tell people to show up, be consistent, be authentic about who you are, be authentically you and continue to show up so that people know they can count on you. They can trust you and then they'll follow you. There's tons of people to follow. People want to follow people. People want to follow people they can count on. For sure. And I think that's a huge thing you mentioned a while about everyone starts at zero. Gary Vee started at zero. Grant Cardone started at zero. The biggest shows in the world, they all at one point had zero followers, but they've only got to the point in where they're at today because they have shown up. They've showed up every single day. And this goes for everything. This goes for business, life, whatever. Just show up. It's one of the biggest things. So simple. I think a lot of people underestimate how long it takes. Yeah. You know, that's the thing. People are like, okay, well, yeah, I showed up and did it every day for a month and nobody watched. I didn't say show up for a short amount of time. I said show yeah. up consistently. For It takes anything. If you really want to build and make an impact on other people's lives, dude, it takes, it, it takes longer than you ever think it's going to. I know. Never. <laughs> never put a, you know, you can never put a date or you can be like, well, I'm going to do this in 90 days. Dude, if, if you think it's going to take you 90 days, it's going to, it's actually going to take you a year. Like it's, that's just how it works. We always underestimate the amount of energy and effort it's going to take to get a result. For sure. So I'd love to sort on this episode, on this show, I should say not episode, just on every single episode. <laughs> I love to talk to my guests about failures and sort of a bit of background behind it. I know I mentioned it before the show is that especially with Instagram and all these social media platforms nowadays, we only tend to see the highlight reel. We see the point in which these entrepreneurs and successful people are at today. We see the fast cars, the nice houses, the fancy holidays. What we don't see is the grind. We don't see what it actually took to get to that point. We don't see the failures. People don't share their failures. And I don't know why. I'd love to see people's failures day in, day out, because I'd like to know, because I don't want to make the same mistakes. This is why I ask this question. And I have this segment in every single episode. And I sort of talk to my guests on what they believe are their two biggest failures. And you've mentioned that yours are not repeating winning actions. And I know we've already touched on this slightly, but 
underestimating what it takes. I'd love to go into just a little bit more detail and why you pick these as your two biggest failures along your journey so far. So let's start with not repeating winning actions. Yeah, I think it was my friend Adi Arazzini. So Adi, she built, uh, she's an incredible human. She built a tea, a tea company from like scratch to uh, she does millions and millions of dollars in, in tea now every year. And she pointed out something to me because we, we sold some, um, we sold some t-shirts or hoodies or something for, for rise and grind. And, and we sold like a bunch of them. And then, uh, she was asking me how sales were and I'm like, Oh, well, you know, we've been kind of focused on this over here. And she's like, dude, what are you doing? Like you have this amazingly engaged group. You create a shirt, you sell like hundreds of them. She goes, do you realize how freaking hard it is to get people to buy your stuff online? Like you just think it's easy and you take it for granted because you launched a product and it's sold. She's like, but that's not how it normally is for most people. And she made me realize that even me, if I look back at my life and I look around at other people, because I like to study success, like we'll, we as human beings, we'll figure out something that works, but then we'll like move on. We'll be like, what's next? Okay, well that worked, but what's next, right? That worked, but what's next? And she helped me to really see and to really point out that once you find an action that works, dude, don't, don't take that lightly. Let's expand on that. How can we grow that particular action? Why did it work? What about it made it work? What's the psychology? What's the psychology behind it? What exactly did you do? What does the data say? Let's analyze it and let's expand that aspect until we grow it to overflowing. See, I know a lot of people who have a bunch of like, they have a bunch of little buckets that have a little bit in each bucket. They're like, oh, I got a little bit over here and I got a little bit over here and I got a little bit over here. I got a little bit over here. And they're running around this rat race trying to get a little bit out of each bucket. Let's get one bucket, one repeat, repeatable action that works. Let's do it to overflowing to where it's now kind of on cruise control. It's continuing to feed us. It's continuing to whether it be recurring income or maybe it's, it's a healthy habit that you want to create in your own life. Like build on that to overflowing. And then we can start adding different pieces. We can say, okay, well, now I want to, you know, let's explore this now that this is solidified. So she helped me to see that. And that's really been beneficial in my business, you know, today um, because I am, you know, like I told you earlier, I'm, I've always just kind of had a little bit of a gift for sales and stuff like that. So I can take things for granted sometimes. You know, yeah. my first, my first ever conference that I held 400 people, I'm like, oh yeah, that was cool. You know, it's 400 people. Like what's next? And everybody's like, well, are we going to do that again? Yeah. Or you should have like, you had 400 people at your first event. Like that's ridiculous. And to me, I'm like, ah, yeah, you know, but let's build an event for 3000, you know, <laughs> it's kind of where my head goes. And so stay grounded. And I think people need to, to. I've had to learn that. And so I just kind of wanted to share that with people. That was a big failure of mine. It's just always going to what's Mm. next instead of really nurturing what's working. That's amazing though, because, and I mean, sales is a wonderful thing to be gifted at. I would never throw that away, but (laughs) especially with attempts at trying to make things work, you could get nine or 10 failures before you even find that one thing that does stick, that one thing that does work. So if you're moving on from that after those nine or 10 failures, and then you found the one thing that does work and you're going, ah, yeah, now let's try more. 
and then you're gonna maybe have nine or ten other things that don't work before you find the next thing it's always good to have one thing working isn't it <laughs> no doubt <laughs> working awesome. to overflowing that's yeah. the key too is i think a lot of people are like okay well it's good enough it's never good enough like it needs to be great i mean yeah. you know there's uh what's that one saying there or who says that He's like, I piss excellence, right? People are like, I piss excellence. Like that's the kind of the mindset that you have to have is that everything that you should do, everything that you do needs to be done with excellence, not just good enough. Don't do just enough to get by. Let's do things yeah. with excellence and abundance, you know? Awesome. That's such a good point. And I'd love to go into more detail then about underestimating what it takes. I know we've spoken, to, we've touched on it, but let's sure. go into it in a little more detail. Yeah, man. I think that um, people people start working out and they're like, oh man, I'm going to lose a bunch of weight and I'm going to get in shape. And they get in there and they read this program. It's a 30-day program or a 60-day program or a 90-day program. And then they go into the program and they lose some weight and they get some wins and they think, oh, this is great. And then once their body leans out a little bit, it starts to get harder and harder and harder to lose weight or to chisel. You know, we, I lost 10 weeks, 10 pounds in the first week. I lost eight pounds in week two. I lost six pounds in week three. I lost, now I'm only losing four pounds. And now it's like I have to work my freaking tail off to lose a pound. And, and then people quit. Because I think people have it in their minds and I did in mine for sure. I had it in my mind that there was some like sort of like finish line. And if we just run from here to here, we get to the finish line, then we win. But that's not how any of this stuff works, man. There's no finish line whatsoever. It never ends. It's infinite. You have to continue to build and level up and level up and level up. You can work out like you could work out for 20 years every single day and be in perfect shape. You stop working out for 90 days, you're gonna you're gonna lose it, dude. It doesn't matter. And so I think people just go into things underestimating. And I know that I did. I I went into relationships underestimating the amount of effort, energy, and work that it takes to maintain a strong, healthy relationship. I went into different aspects of my business kind of in, in the in-between seasons when I was first, to be, you know, before I landed at Dan Cummins. I went into it thinking, well, if I do this, then this. And when those things don't happen, when that timeline comes, you're so disappointed. You let yourself, you know, you're like, oh, I could do this in 90 days. And then if you don't, you quit. Mm. And so I just like had to realize that it always takes way more effort and energy than I ever think it's going to. All, always. It's always more. I'm like, oh, great idea. I'm going to have, you know, I'm going to hold an event down in Nashville, Tennessee. It's, it's going to be pretty easy. We'll get a bunch of people there. And then here I am in the last week, like scrambling, like, come on, we got to sell tickets because I slacked off for freaking three months. Like, dude, everything is hard. Success is hard. It's hard. It's hard. It's so much work, but it's worth it. Mm. When, you, when you taste it and you do get those wins and the 400 people do show up, it's, it's worth it. So that's just been a, a failure of mine year after year after year is just underestimating how much work, but now I'm starting to get it. Like now I'm like, okay, I, I get it. There's no finish line in this game at all. And I got to go 110% on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday and Sunday. That's why I've shown up 600 times for this show, dude. And I'll show up again, 601. I'll show up again, 602. Cause 
I don't know when it really, really pops. You know, it's not, it, yeah. I don't get paid. I don't get paid to show up at 530 in the morning, Monday through Friday for hashtag rise and grind. Nobody's ever paid me a dollar, not one to show up for that show. But I've been there 600 times because I know at some point somewhere down the road, I'll get, I'll get, I'll get my reward, you know? Mm. It's a great way to, do you think there will ever be like that final point where you can truly be satisfied with what you've achieved? Or do you think you'll always be looking for more then? Well, I think I, I'm a firm believer, Ethan, that we're most comfortable in life right before death. I, I believe that. And so I'm not ready to die yet. Right. And I think if you're not ready to die yet, then you're going to want to continue to put yourself in uncomfortable situations because that's where all the growth comes from. Growth comes from being uncomfortable. It comes from the struggle. When you stop growing, now you start dying. That's, that's when it happens. So I believe me personally, I am grateful for all that I have and always will be grateful. I wake up every day and write down all of the different things that I'm thankful for. I am present and I am aware of the blessings that I've received in my life. And if I were to go today, I would go gladly and say, thank you for all of the amazing gifts that you've given me. But on the other side of that, I also am a firm believer that we were designed by a creator with the ability to create. And his expectation of us is that we have a responsibility. We have both the ability and the responsibility to use our gifts to go out and make an impact in other people's lives. In order to do that, you have to continue to level up. You have to continue to scale. I have my five closest friends right now are completely different than my five closest friends two years ago, and they will be completely different than my five closest friends two years from now. There's always another level. There's always another human that can be reached. There's always another connection that you can make. And so... Comfort is something I run as far from as humanly possible, man. Like I look at it, look at, look at athletes in the NFL, dude, right? Mm. Like you, you go to the NFL and you're comfortable, <laughs> you're yeah. done. That's it. It doesn't matter how talented you were, how much work you put in to get where you're at, right? As soon as you start to get comfortable, some dude comes up, he out freaking works you and you're toast, right? And so... I'm not, I'm just not ready to die yet. Maybe one day when I'm like 98 or something, I'll be like, okay, I'm done learning. I've yeah. done all I can. And now I'm just going to get comfortable and sit on the beach and die. Like, but before then, no. Ain't That's why I love, I love the quote, get comfortable feeling uncomfortable. That's something I always look at. So I, I, know, I, have a, I have a final five questions that I always ask at the end of my episodes, and we will move that on, onto that shortly. But the last question I always ask, it's a perfect point to put it in now because people never normally talk about death, is I ask this to everyone. And I ask the final episode, I finish every episode with this question, I ask, are you afraid of dying? But now I think it's the perfect time to ask you because you've touched on it. Are you actually afraid of death? Death doesn't, I'm not afraid, I'm not afraid of death. Um, I look forward, I look forward to it in, in, in the sense that, you know, I am, I am a believer and I believe that I will spend eternity in heaven with my father. And so I have no fear of that. My fear falls more in line. My, my, the, if there was a fearful side to death, it would be more in line with what my friend, uh, Ed Milet 
he 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 spoke on a stage at uh, 10x growth con um a couple years back and ed Milet shared a story about he just he planted this seed in my head he said just imagine that you're there in heaven walking up to the pearly gates you've just died you're on the clouds however you want to image it and you're walking up and as you're walking up there's god and next to God is the version of you that God had dreamed of when he made you like mm. this ultimate version yeah. of you. Right. And so imagine you're walking up and Ed Milet said it perfectly on the stage. He said, I just hope that I can at least kind of recognize that guy. I just want to, I want to kind of look like that guy, the best version of me, the, the version that God intended when he created me. And so that would be my only like fear side of death. I'm afraid that I'll get there and God will be like, this is what I wanted you to do. And this is what you did. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's that's that before, but yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah. I think that's an amazing, that's probably one of the, I know you're sort of like taking it from Ed's, but and you now take it for yourself. Is but I think that's an incredible way to look at it, and one of my favorite answers I've had to that question. So thank oh, you thank for you that. Did. So yeah. we're going to move on to the final five of what is now final, final, final four now because we we've crossed that one off the end. So final four, and the first question is: Who is the first person that comes to mind when I say the word successful? Um, very first person to come to mind. Um, uh, there's a bunch, dude. I studied like I have Jiminy crickets all <laughs> over my shoulders that are always feeding stuff in my ear. That's all I do is study success. Um, I think the, the, okay, I'm going to go with the historic and I'm going to go with the now. So yeah. I'm going to give you two. So, um, my historic would be uh, like Martin Luther King. So, mm -hmm. so Martin Luther King, I love the way that he used the power of words to move people, to unite people, and to make a massive impact on this planet. I, I just adore him for that. Uh, as far as somebody more current, I think I would go with Will Smith. Um, yeah. Will Smith, has he's, he's really done an incredible job of not allowing anyone to put him in a box. He's done an incredible job of spreading a positive and powerful message through different forms of media in an incredible way. And he's also done an incredible job of allowing his kids to, to really grow and, and be themselves and just be strong and, and, and independent. Uh, I love that aspect about him. That's what I want. I don't want to, I don't want my kids to feel like they have to do anything that their dad's doing like ever. Like I just want them to be so independent and so strong. So that's where I would go. Martin Luther King, historic and will smith today for sure it's not like it's not it's not that common with families when you've got two kids below the age of teenagers that are multi-millionaires at that point already right. <laughs> found their success before they've reached the age of 12 right. <laughs> how often do you hear that no um, doubt man question number two uh what is the best investment you've ever made so this can be so this can be with money time energy or simply an amazon purchase um the best investment that i ever made was investing in a better understanding of the spiritual side of myself that's interesting far. 
I lived two lives and life number one was thinking that we were all just physical and flesh and not understanding there was a spiritual side. Life number two is now knowing fully and wholeheartedly uh, that I have a spiritual side. And so what came with that is, again, I now feel an ability and a responsibility. Like, think about it like this, Ethan. Like, LeBron James, right? He has a son that plays basketball. We all just kind of assume his son's probably going to be okay at basketball, right? Like, it's in his blood. I mean, he's probably going to be maybe a little taller. He's probably going to be probably not not 100%, but – we would just kind of assume that, right? And so once I got a full understanding that we are spiritual beings and we have a father, a creator, right? Then it shifted my way of thinking of myself. I started to think, well, his blood runs in my veins. So that means the expectation of me is now higher, right? It's almost like the expectation, expectation of LeBron James's son. We just yeah. kind of have this higher expectation. And so... I feel like it's in my veins to be able to create and make an impact. And now that I know that that's part of my DNA, my spiritual DNA, it's what inspires me to, to move at the pace that I move and dream at the, at the, at the level that I dream. Awesome. Another amazing answer. You've just got a out the park answer for every one of these questions. I love it. <laughs> question, well, number three, thank you. question number three or four. Uh, do you have a quote that you live by or think of often? Uh, the man who says he can and the man who says he cannot are both correct. Paulo Coelho. Um, that quote is on my wall in my house. I look at it every single day uh, and I teach it to my children. Um, but it's absolute, absolute fact. What you believe you can do, you're, you're right. You are always going to be right. If you believe you can, you're right. If you believe you cannot, you're right. So that, that, that quote has been a game changer for me and my family. I love it. One final question to round off the episode. And it is, what advice would you give to your 20-year-old self? I would tell my 20-year-old self. Him and I would have to have a long talk, dude. <laughs> <laughs> we'd have to have a long long talk uh obviously i would tell him you know that that he's a spiritual being i think that that's super super crucial and super important but also um i think one thing i would really hit on is making sure that he understands that there's a process of success and that process goes as follows it's change first there's a change there has to be a a mental change a physical change something has to change first and change is always 100% of the time followed by struggle always whether it be a struggle to revert back to where you were before a struggle to move forward whether it be physically mentally spiritually there's always going to be a struggle after any type of shift or any type of change after struggle or through the struggle is where you, where you find your growth. Whether it be working out, we're going to struggle on weights. That's how we grow our muscles. Or struggling to understand our spiritual understanding is going to get you closer to it. You're going to grow spiritually. All of those things, that struggle is where the growth happens. Once we can get on the other side of growth, that's where you find success. Success only comes through growth. It's the only way. 
So once you understand this process of change, struggle, grow, succeed, change, struggle, grow, succeed, and it's a cycle, it just continues. As soon as you hit success, something's going to change. You're going to struggle. You're going to grow. You'll find success. It continues to just cycle your entire life. So understanding this process, you can mentally do an inventory and go, what part am I in? Am I in a season of struggle? Great. That means I'm growing. That's mm. awesome. Am I in a season of growth? Awesome. Success is around the corner. I just got to keep going. Am I in a season of success? Okay, this is cool, but I better be ready. Change is coming. Something's going to change. Am I in a season of change? Okay, I know what's coming next. It's struggle, but on the other side of that struggle is growth, and on the other side of that is success. So understanding the process of success, I think, is what it, if I only had five minutes with them, that's probably what I would teach them so that it makes sense of all the different seasons of life that we go through. You can know where you're at, and you can know what to expect. Amazing. What an end to the episode. Glenn, <laughs> this has been incredible. So I'd love to pass it over to you now. Just so where can my listeners sort of follow up with you if they've got any questions? Thank you for the time that you've given me or just tell them what's going on. What have you got going on at the moment? Man, the best thing, they're, they're, there's two things they should do. They should go to glennlundy.com because that connects to all my stuff, everything, all my different platforms and so on and so forth. Um, but the other thing I, I, I just want to let people know is like, Look, man, you, you, you have value, you have worth. The decisions that you're making today, tomorrow, yesterday, they do have an impact. They impact your friends, your family members, your coworkers. It always has an impact. And so become the best version. Work on becoming the best version of yourself that you can possibly be so that that impact you make on other people's lives is positive. And, uh, and, and, and really, we didn't get into it on this show, but if you go to the morning five dot com the morning and then the number five dot com uh, there's a free ebook that i've got there that you can download that just talks about the morning routine the power of the morning routine because i'm a firm believer that if you can take five simple steps every day to start your day it'll lead you to an extraordinary life and so you can go download that ebook there at the morning five dot com change the way you start your day go out there and make an impact Awesome. And I will leave those in the show notes below. So listeners, don't worry about remembering those. Just scroll down and <laughs> it'll be there. Just click and go. But Glenn, once again, thank you so much for your time. And listeners, thank you so much for listening to this episode of CEO Journals. So that's going to wrap up today's episode of the podcast. And I can't thank you all enough for listening. I aim to interview some of the most incredible entrepreneurs every single week. So if you found any value in listening to today's episode, I'd seriously appreciate if you could smash that subscribe button and leave a five-star rating and review. It only takes a couple of seconds and will help me secure some of the greatest names in business as guests on the show. If you want to reach out to me, head over to my Instagram at CEO Journals or send me a connection request on LinkedIn. I'd love to speak to as many of you as possible. Be sure to tune in next week where I'll be talking to another incredible guest where we will be discussing their journey and providing some great tips for all you listeners. I hope you have a lovely rest of your day and once again, thank you for tuning in to today's episode of CEO Journals.